Thank you for joining us on this episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett, where we examine current and emerging technologies through the lens of diversity and equality. Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Eminent Teachnology. Today, we are missing my other half, Drew Stennett. He is under the weather a little, so we will be missing him sorely. Um, but we are so excited. We have such an eminent person with us today. We have Mr. Dan Early, um, Dr. Dan Early, uh, probably one of the smartest people on the planet. We are so blessed to have him with us today. So may I please ask you, Dan, I've already said your name, but may I ask you, Dan, to please say your name and tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so my, my last name is a little hard to pronounce and there's lots of versions <clears throat> of it, but it's uh, <clears throat> Dan Ariely. So my name is Dan Ariely. I'm a professor at Duke. Um, and uh, what what can I say about, about myself? Maybe, maybe what I will do is I will uh, give you a short preview of why I have half a beard. So I have <laughs> a beard here and no beard here. Very handsome, very, very handsome. Thank you. And, and this half a beard uh, has a story about half beards and intuition. So here's the story. Uh, so, so many years ago, I was badly burned and most of my body is covered with scars. This is why this side has no hair. It's just all scars and, and there's more. That's not, I was burning about 70% of my body. Okay. Um, but you could say, oh, why don't I shave this part? I would look less strikingly not symmetrical. And indeed, for many years, I shaved. And when I shave, it's, it's, it, you can see that there are scars here and no scar here, especially if you meet me in person, but, uh, but it's, less, it's less jarring. So why, why don't I shave? Well, I shaved for many years. And then a few years ago, I went on a month-long hike. And during that month, I did not shave. And I emerged out of that month looking sort of like this and i look in the mirror and i didn't like what i saw it's a very strange look just imagine that you woke up tomorrow with half a beard it's a very strange look we like symmetry and so on um so i thought i'll shave it but i thought i'll give it a few weeks i thought i'll just give it a few weeks to remind me of this very special month-long hike and then the first surprising thing happened the first surprising thing that happened was that a few people reached out to me and thanked me for the half a beard. Why did they thank me for the half a beard? These were people that were struggling with their own injuries. They felt that they were hiding uh, their own injuries. And for me being so much out there with my injury saying, look how much I don't care, gave them a little bit of strength. Now I didn't correct them. I didn't tell them it was by mistake, but, but uh, I said, okay, if it's helping some people, I'll keep it for a bit longer. But but the real interesting thing happened about four months later. <clears throat> so, you know, I've been, I got burned many, many years ago. Most of my life I've been with scars. Um, and about four months into this half a beard adventure, I started feeling that my relationship with my own scars is different, that I, um, I, I treat them less about scars and, and more kind of the, the, the story of my life. Um, you know, some people do tattoos, I have scars. Um, and I started wondering why, what, what happened now? I've, I've had these scars for a very long time, why now? And here's what I think happened. Imagine somebody like me shaving. I start the day, smooth here, stubble here. I shave, become less non-symmetrical. So in fact, the act of shaving is also an act of hiding my lack of symmetry. It's hiding my deformities. The same thing that the people were thanking me for, for, for stopping that. And, and stopping to hide was actually very helpful. And it wasn't just helpful about these cars. It was helpful in general about my scars. And here's the final point. I know we're not here to talk about facial hair, but the final point is that I'm a social scientist. I'm supposed to know these things. How come, how come I didn't predict that? I, for a long time, I shaved. For a long time, I said, being non-symmetrical is a bad thing. Let me shave, let me shave, let me shave. And, and the reason is that we are quite good 
in predicting day one. Like if you ask me what would day one look like or feel like with half a beard, I could tell you. People would ask questions, kids would laugh, people would point, right? Not so good. Let's, uh, but if you ask me what would be day 200, there's nothing in my arsenal that I can predict these small changes about self-acceptance. But, but that I think is actually what social science is supposed to give us. It's supposed to give us these hints about different things that are not part of our human intuition. The human intuition is just about day one. It's not about day 100 or 200. Let's, let's also realize what day 200 could be like, and then let's give people some recipes uh, for a better life. Yeah. I think one of the things I will say, we all have scars. Yours may be visible, but we all have scars. You know, And how we deal with our scars depends on how well we're mentally prepared to deal with our scars. Uh, yeah. September of last year, I contracted C. diff. And I've talked about this several times on this podcast. Um, and as a result of that, all of my hair fell out. And I'm slowly growing it back. I also have scars from my, under my breastbone all the way down. And I look like I've been in a war and shot up. But we all have scars and uh, I am slowly learning how to deal with mine. Hopefully in day 200, I'll be better prepared to than I am now, but that's not what we're here talking about. But by the way, the, 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 the all, we all have scars is very, very important. And, you know, I, because, uh, because of what happened in, in uh, October 7th in the South of Israel, um, we are now thinking about how do we prepare for the mass of people who would uh, need treatment for PTSD. Right. Um, you know, just think about um, um, the, the, the extent of, of, of that incident, uh, people who are in the party, uh, you know, celebrating and so on. And, and when you think about uh, mental, uh, emotional challenges, uh, they are more difficult than than physical scars and and the reason is that you know like when i hold a pen this is all i can do i know that this is not normal the 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 disability is very clear and other people see it so they help me out or they don't demand things when it comes to mental uh, illness or mental challenges uh, the story is very different First of all, it's very hard for people to become aware. Like, you know, you, you go down some path. How do you even remember what, like, we can't get out of our mind in a way to understand this. I can compare this hand to this hand. I can compare this hand to your hand. I have, I have lots of comparison to say, oh, I can't do this very well. But also we have people, people with mental illness have much less uh, sympathy. So, you know, we have, we have lots of adaptation in the workplace, for example for people with physical disability. Yeah. Uh, people with uh, mental challenges, there's almost no, uh, no accommodation. We, we, we don't work on it, we don't understand it. Uh, so you're absolutely correct. And as our listeners probably can tell from what we have talked about thus far, um, Dan is um, a social scientist, a researcher, um, and. And what I was going to go through here and just give you a little bit about Dan, he has degrees from Duke, UNC, and Tel Aviv. He has written bestsellers. Um, he has been an advisor to talk to documentaries and, and numerous things. Um, we'd be here for days talking about all of his accolades. He's founded companies and sold them. He's done a tremendous amount of work. But I want to talk about one specific documentary he was an advisor on, and that was Elizabeth Holmes' um, The Adventure, the One Drop um, um, documentary. And what really stuck, stuck with me in that um, uh, documentary was your um, um, die um, talk. Experiment, yeah. Yeah, it was really, really interesting. And in it, you talk about the tensions, right? So why do lie detectors work or not work? And it's because of the tensions. And when you talk about the die, like, so if you got a high number, you would get a reward and people would have to tell the truth about whether they got a high number or not. 
And I think that really leads into misbelief, right? You know, why do we believe or not believe something or why we are we trusting or not trusting, right? And it's all because of what guides us internally, right? So what are the things that make us behave one way or the no- or another? And so I have a few questions for you. Um, and so one of the things I wrote here, I said, Dan and his colleagues have theorized that people, when they behave dishonestly, usually they do so in a way that they're able to rationalize their actions. Is that a correct statement? But they rationalize their actions that satisfy some truth that they hold in themselves. So, so in other words, I can tell you, Dan, um, yesterday I went to the market and I bought seven apples and they were absolutely awful. And I demanded I get my money back from the store because they were awful, but I actually kept the apples. So I went to the store and I demanded I and I told this story and that satisfied me. It made me feel good about myself, but I did something dishonestly. So so in essence, we are able to justify our behaviors because it satisfies something in ourselves and it makes us feel good. So in other words, I've told you something about myself and I feel good about myself. Yeah. So there's lots there's lots of things to rationalize about. Um. So let, let's let's uh, let's think about two two very different types of rationalization. One rationalization is about an outside reason. So let's let's uh, think about the following story. There's a story in the Bible that God comes to Sarah and says, "Sarah, you're going to have a son." And in Sarah laughs. Yeah, she said she laughs and she said, "How can I have a son when my husband is so old?" And God says, don't worry, you'll have a son. Then God goes to Abraham, says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Abraham says, did you tell Sarah? God says, yes. And Abraham continues and he says, and what did Sarah said? And God lies. God said, Sarah said, how could you have a son when she is sold? And the religious scholars wondered, how could God lie? How can it be that God lied? And what was their conclusion? It's okay to lie for peace at home. Right. Now, what does that mean? We have lots of motives in life. We want to be honest. We don't want to offend people. We want to make more money. We want all kinds of things. Not all of them are compatible all the time. What do we do with some motives point in one way? Honey, how do I look in that dress? And some other motives point in another way. What? What is the... It's actually, when you think about it this way, it's an amazing juggling act that we do. Politeness. How do we understand politeness? What are the boundaries? And, and so on. But anyway, we do this amazing juggling act between, between things. So that's, that's about rationalizing something based on a separate reason. But then there's also rationalizing thing for itself. It's not about another reason. It's not about, oh, he, he treated me badly. Now I, now I can return. There's another rationalization. For example, you go on an online dating app and you put your weight that it was two years ago. Right. And now well, it's another two years ago. Of you two years ago, right? That's right. You can say, oh, you know, it's not clear <laughs> which one it should be. And yes, I, I haven't been in that weight for a while, but I plan to be. And in fact, it's more accurate. So that's a different kind. So, so there's all kinds of rationalization uh, that we do. Um, but but the point the point is that we we have when we are making some of those decisions uh, we're not aware and and then there's a third element which is that <clears throat> after a while we get used to it so so we did a study with with um, brain imaging in which people had the opportunity to lie many times over over time. And what we saw was that the brain stopped reacting to lies. Uh, think about the last time you blame traffic for being late when in fact it wasn't traffic, you just left late. We all have done that. Or think about the last time you were in a Zoom conference call and you said, oh, my internet is not so good, I'm turning my video off. Once, 
once we are saying it, you know, the beginning we might have rationalized, but after a while, it just becomes acceptable to, to ourselves, not, not to other people, to ourselves. We don't feel when you know when when we blame the traffic just because we, we got there somewhere late, we don't feel bad anymore. We we used to when we started. And and by the way, this also goes with all kinds of things in the political sphere. Um, think about you know the, the the story with with Fox News and Trump really winning the elections. Uh, now now we know that they never meant it, at least in the beginning. But but if you look at the psychology and it, you know it, it's hard it's hard to test, but my prediction would have been that in the beginning they knew that they were making things up but after a while they stopped thinking about them as making them up and they started believing them now of course under investigation they say oh yes yes how did i get there but if we you going back to the lie detector i think that if we just put the lie detector on them uh, for a whole day uh, on month six after the election after repeating this thing for a long time I don't think there would be any arousal indicating of, of saying, "Oh, I'm I'm lying here. Let me let me be careful." No, I think it would have become standard. Right, and and I think that at some point you believe your own lie, right? Yeah, you, become, exactly. you become engaged with your own lies. My story, and I have to stick to it now because what other? Right. And and if you think about the brain, um, we we store memories we store pieces of information uh, but but where are these pieces of information coming from are they coming from the outside world are they coming from our inside world are they coming from us like we don't have like two storage places for you know what somebody gets as, as a sat score in 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 their college examination uh, we have a number and, and, you know, as people start exaggerating, there's actually a beautiful study in which they go to students and they say, please give us permission to go to the uh, university office to check your SAT score. And the student give them permission and say, what's your SAT score? And people give higher than, than real SAT score. Now, what happened is that once they shed the numbers a little bit higher and they keep on talking about this, they they forget they they start thinking about those numbers as being real yeah but but let, let me let me just say you know be, before the, the the place where this becomes of course incredibly devastating is where it comes to fake news right mm -hmm. and and then uh, people can start consuming things that are not true um but but the, the difference between uh, fake news and and somebody's telling a, a story about sat scores is that some of those i call it misinformation mis misbelief some of those misbeliefs um can can create a central tendency in somebody's life so so if you think about somebody's exaggerating on their sat score they exaggerate on the sat score but if somebody believes that the earth is flat, um, believing the earth is flat becomes a central theme in their life. Because it's not just about the earth is flat. It's about the fact that NASA is lying and the government is lying and every education system is lying. And, and it's, a, it's when people adopt it, not when people say, oh, you know, I'm not sure the earth is round or flat. I don't care so much. That, 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 that's okay. But when somebody adopts these misbeliefs in a very central way, they become a lens from which they view everything else. And that becomes dangerous. That becomes dangerous. So, so let's get back to this. So, so first of all, you have written a beautiful book, Misbeliefs. Misbelief. Make sure there's no F. Misbelief. And it's everywhere you buy books. You can get it Barnes & Noble, Amazon, anywhere you buy books. It's a beautiful book. Very timely. Why did you write this book now? Why now? Yeah, so you know, most most of my books, uh, all all my other books, uh, were written after I finished the research. 
I had some research. I thought it was interesting. I said, okay, this is designed for academics. Let's me write a, a version that I think is more useful, that people can actually take some lessons from it. Um, this book started very differently. Um, so, so COVID starts and uh, I get lots of requests. There was a, a big need for social science. Yes, the problem was a virus, but once the virus meets people, there's a problem with social science, right? What do we do with distant education? And what do we do with distant work? And what do we do with the dramatic increase in domestic violence and masks and you name it. Every, every how do we give people money on furlough? Just, just tremendous amounts of topics. And I feel I'm at the height of my career. I have two phones, I answer all the time, I try to be as helpful as possible, questions from all kinds of governments, all kinds of companies. I do nothing else but COVID and I feel great. July, so quite a few months into it, I get a, an email from somebody I once helped and she said, Dan, how have you changed? What's wrong with you? And I write and I said, what, what happened? And she sent me a long list of links I'll just describe one of them. In that link, there's a video showing me in hospital. And then um, it says how after three years in hospital uh, with a bad injury, I started hating healthy people. And that's why I joined the cabal and Bill Gates and the Illuminati to try and kill as many people as possible. Now, as a story, it's a good story, right? It's like 90 seconds of the creation of a villain. Just think about like from an artistic perspective, right? If somebody would write a, a, another villain story, maybe it's a, good, it's a good story. But anyway, there were many of those. And I start looking at them and I'm just shocked. I'm shocked about the, and there, there was even, there was even a, like a podcast where two women were discussing all my personality flaws and all my evil doing. Um, so, so I thought, you know, I have to correct this impression. Um, but, and I tried, I spent about a month trying to correct this impression and uh, basically I did nothing. I, I, I couldn't convince anybody. And, you know, we've all met people with very different beliefs. Think about like the most central uh, places in society, socialism, capitalism, pro-abortions, anti-abortion, pro-gun. I mean, we've all met people from, from the other side um, but it's, 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 a, it's a little bit different and a bit more intense when somebody thinks they understand me. Okay. So imagine you meet somebody and they say, oh, but you have created this, like, let's take something else. They say, oh, but yesterday you shouted at your kids. And I said, no, I actually was not even home yesterday. <laughs> and they said, no, 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 you shouted at your kids. I know you did. Like, there, there's something so much ignoring the facts when I know about what I did and the other person doesn't, that after a month of trying to convince people and failing, I realized I can't convince anybody. I'm a slow learner, it took me a month. Uh, but then I, I took a back seat and for the next two years, I just tried to understand how this works. <clears throat> I, I, you know, in, in psychology, we, we rarely think that things that we see about human behavior is for nothing. It came from somewhere. It might not be rational. It might not be desirable, but it has a reason. And the same thing is true about misbeliefs. Um, nobody would wake up in the morning and say, oh, I want to start a misbelief that the COVID vaccine has a G5 chip in it. Like it, It's not a good life. Nobody would choose it. But it turns out that those misbeliefs are a response to a real need. They're not a good response. They're not the response we would choose, but they're a real response to a real need. Uh, think about the mosquito bite. You have a mosquito bite, you really want to itch it. Is itching it good? No, but there's a real need to itch it and then it gets worse from time. The same thing is happening with these misbeliefs. But 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 I, I guess my question is like, and you're absolutely right. So if someone believes that today is Thursday and they really believe it, you can't convince them otherwise, right? So so, yep. so there's that. But but as I read the book, you know, and, and I didn't didn't look for the links or any of that stuff. I didn't go out and look to find out what someone had written or said about you, you know, but I do remember when 
45 had become the president, you know, I remember him telling people that, you know, the vaccine was going to go away once the election was over. I remember him telling people that, you know, there was, you know, I think he said you could take some Clorox and it would cure them. <laughs> I remember some crazy things that were out there and people believed it. But um, I looked at your career, you know, I mean, like, you didn't just come around yesterday. You had been around for a long time doing incredible research. And um, I just cannot believe that people could just throw that away because this no. virus <clears throat> had come along. And yeah, so so I, I agree with you. It was very tough. And, you know, um, so I got for almost for two years, I got almost daily death threats. And the last one I got like three weeks ago. So it's getting less. Um, but can I interrupt just for a second? Were you tied to? that president and 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 that no. you had no political affiliation I, I, you That's know, I, I have my beliefs but nothing nothing official no it's it, but nothing just your work on COVID. that was your only link to this was just your work on <clears throat> yeah look look conspiracy theories don't need a lot of evidence like but but and i'll tell you in a second why why they they picked me <laughs> why i think they picked me but they could have picked somebody else, um, but but here was the thing: I, I was I was working on COVID. I was uh, working with lots of different governments. I was helping as many people as I as I could. And and I think my the, the way I live my life um, is confusing for some people. Um, you know because I did all of it voluntarily thought I was doing my my mission and and you can imagine why this would look suspicious to somebody say so why why is Dan doing all of those things um now that was one I think the the half a beard does make me look strange and more evil like there were lots of terrible things about that particular that particular look and uh, there were snippets of things that i've said in social media into the press and so on that you could fit together um you know they connected me to gates they connected me to we i i did work on vaccines before on how to get people to take the the flu vaccine so so there were all, all kinds of all kinds of reasons but you know the um the death threats were tough, and there were people who were telling me that they were burning my books. That was also like, and, and the reason, you know, burning books, but the, the, one of the reasons that was tough is that I felt these were people who read my books, that they kind of know me. I'm, I'm quite, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing quite a lot about my personal life in my books and how I think and why I, I started something and so on. So, so that was, that was eerie, but I still, have empathy for these people. And why do I have empathy for them? Because the initial conditions for, for adopting a misbelief is stress. Um, and and I'm, I don't mean the kind of stress where people are saying, oh, I'm so busy, I don't know how I'll finish the day. It's the kind of stress that says, I don't understand the world. What is going on here? There's this virus, there's economics, like there's a war in Gaza, like where is the world coming? There's a there's a new video now that they connected me to the war in Gaza. They show they show um, the, the the massacre in the south of Israel, and then they raise the question of how could it be uh, that that this could happen? It must have been the cabal that orchestrated it, and and they they bring my name up um, in that <clears throat> in that video. But you know these are people who are very confused very stressed and here is the the psychology of this the psychology is that when we're stressed and confused we want a story and the story needs a villain right why because we don't want to be blamed we want somebody else to blame so we we need a story to explain the world we want a story with the villain so it's the villain's fault and not our fault and interestingly enough people want the complex story 
And that's kind of puzzling because usually we think people want simple stories. Why complex? Imagine society is looking down at you. If you have a complex story, now you can say to society, no, 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 no. You think you understand the world. I'm the one who really understands it. So as the story gets complex, it also gets people a more sense of power and control and, and understanding. So, so that's really what gets people to the, the, the initial condition that get people to want to need. They have a need for a story with a villain that is complex are actually very sad conditions. Right. Yeah. If, if people are happy and satisfied and resilient and they have friends and they're not worried, nobody will adopt misbeliefs. Misbeliefs come at, with stress. But first, let me ask the obvious question. Are you OK? Are you safe? I am safe. You know, I, I talk to quite I, I thankfully I have lots of friends and I talk to I talk to people. I. I felt. So, so a couple of people um, um, approached me in the street, shouting at me. Uh, that's that's a very eerie feeling. You know, there's the um, there's the feeling of of online. Oh, we're coming after you. Uh, they, they allowed your blood. I'm working on the guillotine. All kinds of things like that. Um, it it's it's hard to focus on those days. You know, after after a death threat, even if I know that they're probably not, they're not going to do it. There is a there is a, a mental load of getting that death threat that that stays uh, for a while. Um, the the shouting in the street, the accusations um, have a different effect. It's a, it's a it's a larger effect, I would say. Uh, there's something very eerie because. It's it's seeing the hate in a different way, you know. Seeing seeing the hate in people's eyes and voice. There was a I was sitting having beer with a friend, and somebody passes, and she was just psychopath, murderer. She just couldn't stop uh, repeating those two um, those two words. Um, that's that's tougher. Um, it is tough, and and I I, I cannot imagine what that's like and i'll give you it's not even a, a comparable but but i will give you this so um i've worked in tech most of my life and um i worked in the law school and uh, one of the people work worked for me was a older white man and i can't tell you how many times he would say the n-word to me when i would assign him something to do i will not work for a black n or you're just an in, or you're an incompetent in. And uh, one day he and I were alone in the building. We were working on a project late at night and he walked so close to my face. I mean, he was like less than inches away from my face. And he said to me, I could kill you and no one would know who did it. And we didn't have cameras in the building. I don't even know if there was cameras outside of the building. I'm sure there were some in the building somewhere. And I felt so afraid. And uh, I had this feel, I, you know, growing up in South Carolina, Walterboro, not far from where the Murdoch store, <laughs> I grew in the same county where he was. I knew his family. I knew many of his friends. You know, I would hear this word all the time and I felt unsafe as a young person. Um, and I know that doesn't equate to what you felt, you know, feeling threatened like that. But hate is powerful. It is powerful to be hated for something you have no control over, to be hated for the way you look. You know, and in your case, a terrible experiment that went wrong. You know, yep. to have someone hate you for that is hard. And, you know, my friends in Israel, every time I think about it, I feel so sad for that, you know. So, you know, you and I are not close, but I've gotten to know you and I feel for you too. And I'm so sorry this is happening to you, but I want you to be safe. How do you do that? How do, how are you safe? How do you make, because there are crackpots out there, Dan. There are people out there that are crazy. And that man that became president encouraged violence, encouraged, he gave these people license to behave badly. How do you 
so so first of all i i i'm i'm so sorry you 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 had these experiences and i i want to basically say that it's there's a there's the fear and there's the helplessness and i i can imagine in that in the story you told there's this this feeling of my life is not under my control uh, somebody else can can take over and do things in in my case also somebody di dictated the narrative of of my life um look i you know I, I can't say that it doesn't change the way i conduct myself like at the height of the uh, death threats and the shouting in the street I was on alert, like when I was walking in the street and I heard somebody shouting, I thought it was at me. You know, I, uh, um, I was just attuned to that, to that. It, it could have been a parent <laughs> being angry with their kid, but when I would hear somebody shouting, I, I thought it was, it was me. Um, you know, in the same way, I, I just came back from Israel, I hear now a sound of something that sounds like a siren i think it's a siren right there's a there's a use you, you, there's there's a there's a experiences uh, fear creating experiences that the brain is looking for uh, for protection so so now it's alarms it used to be um uh, loud um, angry voices um and and i did i did go out less i did go out less um so do you I don't like it. Kind of security or anything to protect you as you travel about? I, mean, I, 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 I talked. I talked to people. I took. I took. I talked to people from the police and the security services, and they gave me some, uh, some advice of things to do. Um, but and I and I followed those. Um, but but I I have to say that there's a there's something. Um, there's something terrible about giving into that. Yes. Um, because it does it does emphasizes the the feeling of helplessness uh, by by giving in. So so I'm trying not to let it control too much. But uh, but, but but we do live, you know. The, look, all of us have people that were used to be in our lives that we thought we understand the world in the same way that they do. And now we look at them and we say, I can't believe that we ever thought we were the same. The, and, the, will ever, the, and will we ever be the same again? Will this world ever look normal again? So, 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 you know, the, in, in, in the book, I kind of describe this funnel of misbelief. I say stress is, is the condition. Then we have lots of cognitive processes. We have some personality processes. We have lots of social process. I basically, um, if you think about the cookie as a weaponized food to get people to eat more, right? The cookie is designed with sugar, salt, fat to get us to want one and then to want more. Um, the funnel of misbelief, it's almost as if it's designed to get people to start believing things that are not healthy for us. Um, in the same way that the obesity epidemic is not caused by one cookie, but it's caused by a lot of those things. Um, I think the crisis that we have of, of trust and low resilience and misbelief is created by lots of forces um, that basically uh, tap the weakness of our human element right in the same way that i say okay which which video would you share more frequently or more easily one that shows the creation of a villain of dan really becoming a villain or one where i ponder a, a new result that we have in social science about i don't know what taking medication on time of course the the villain is much more exciting interesting and so on so people share and start believing it this the funnel of misbelief attacks every part of of the weak the weakest part of human psychology in stress cognitive personality <laughs> and and social but and and when i started writing this book i i thought i'll have a chapter about solutions 
Uh, I end up not having a chapter on solution. I have little sections that called hopefully helpful. I have so many questions. I mean, I, I have all of this in my questions, my list of questions. And um, let me let me just finish this because um, so but but there's no real there's no big solution because the problem is so big. Right. But but if we ask, should we be as a society optimistic or pessimistic? <clears throat> I think we should be pessimistic in the sense that we need to start acting soon. You know, this problem will not solve itself. Our social cohesion will not improve. The next elections in the US will start from the, where we left last one, which is not a good, which is not a good place. Um, the way social media is influencing people, the way um, people um, are afraid of talking about uh, politics uh, with each other, the, the, the number of issues we disagree on, the, um, even the disregard to science, all of those things are not in our favor. So I think we need to be pessimistic enough to start acting. I think acting will be difficult and complex because there's a lot to do. But I think we can do it, but we just have to decide to make it a priority. Like think about 10 years ago. 10 years ago, you asked me, what are the biggest challenges facing humanity? Misbelief would have not been one of them. It's not part of the development goals of the UN. You know, like in, no, nobody thought this is going to be one of the challenges. In fact, we thought it will be one of the solutions. Social media, information will be free. Everybody will know things correctly and so on. We had this, this, these ideas. Now I think it's a real threat. And, and with AI, it's going to get worse rather than better, right? AI, I mean, there's deep fake and all kinds of things like that, but a, imagine an AI that could know your weakest points in your psychology and design a misbelief that is tailor-made for you, right? That will just accelerate uh, lots of things. And um, we worry about that so much in technology. We worry about it so much. I wrote, when ChatGPT first launched, I wrote to the founders or whatever they call themselves these days. I said, are you thinking about bias in it? Because from my perspective as a Black woman, my concern is what does it mean to my community, Black and Brown communities? Because we are already marginalized out the gate. And now we have this thing that's coming along and it's just going to sweep the world up. I think that your point about, you know, these. There's, yeah, there's, there's the question of what will the technology do to us if it's not designed to take advantage, just kind of, uh, you know, unintended consequences. And then there's the question of uh, what, would it do in the hands of people who don't mean well? Right. So, and there are always those people lurking in the background that we're not paying attention. You know, I yeah. think that when 45 became president, society was not paying attention. We were lulled into thinking it would be fine. And what happened is when a man stands up, who's running for election that says that he could punch somebody and he would be fine. He could grab somebody by their private parts. And we weren't alarmed by that. We should have been. And we yeah. were we were okay with that. But before, we, we are running out of time. But I, first of all, let me ask this question. Will you come back and we can finish this when you have time? It will be a pleasure. Okay. So I want to ask you a few questions that I want you to tell talk to us about this. What's the difference between fluid intelligence and executive control? Can you talk about those just if you can? <clears throat> yeah. So somebody, somebody is drilling. Can you hear that, that noise? I can't hear it. Is it too much? Can you, I, is, it too, is it too loud for you? Not. I mean, okay. I don't know if it's going to get any loud. It's, it's okay. 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 So, so look, there's, there's a lot of um, ways to think about uh, cognitive functioning, about what, what it is that, that we're doing. Um, executive control is usually our ability to kind of master our cognitive capacity and direct it in the way that we want to direct it. 
right? So, so imagine, imagine that you wake up in the morning and you want to work on a on an article. Are you able to be in the control seat? Are you able to say, I'm not letting my attention get directed. I'm going to focus. I'm going to start thinking about whatever dinner tonight. I'll I'll bring my. It's it's basically the the management of our emotional of our cognitive system uh, is is that is that system you know it's it's about tapping memory reminding uh, being able to access the correct memory it's about uh, being able to focus it's about uh, being able to um, uh, link uh, different ideas that's basically what it's uh, what it's about whereas intelligence is um, uh, one of the many things that we have uh, working for us, right? So somebody could be more intelligent, somebody could be more creative, all kinds of things like that. So we have we have different skills, but one of the important thing is, can we control them? And and creativity, by the way, is one of the most interesting one because we can c- control it, but sometimes it controls us because people who are very creative sometimes have very, their thoughts just go all over the place. So in the book, you talk mentioned this earlier. In the book, you talk about these hopeful, um, hopeful, hopefully helpful. So they're throughout the book, and they're almost like these tidbits to help us manage these these different sections. Um, so what do you hope we will get from um, these tidbits in relation to what you've written in the chapter? So, yeah. so. So look, so let's let's take one one example. Um, uh, the way social media is networks are created is very unhealthy for us. Uh, do I hope that somebody who would read the book can change that? No. So so there are things that society needs to do. Somebody needs to regulate. Somebody needs to think differently. There are things that we need to do in the school systems. Uh, we need to. Um, uh, create more tolerance for multiple ideas. We need to be more hesitant. The media literacy, there's all kinds of things to do. In the hopefully helpful sections, I try to focus on the things that each of us can do. So so think, for example, about stress. Um, there are going to be stressful events in the world. COVID, war, financial situations. Um, just to say to people, look, stress is happening, uh, that there's no solution because we, there's a lot of stress that is coming from the outside. On the other hand, resilience is one of the best things to do as an antidote to stress. So each of us needs to understand that we need to invest in our friends and we need to invest for them and for us. And we need to create resilience. So some of the problems, actually most of them are too big for each of us to solve. But there are things that each of us could do. So the hopefully helpful is things that, I'm not saying here's what Facebook should do. I'm saying here is what each of us could do to make things a little bit better. It's not enough to solve the problem, but it is to make it better. I think that's perfect. So I have a whole bunch of things I want to ask you, but I want to ask, you write something in the book I think is absolutely beautiful. It says, misbelief is a distorted lens through which people begin to view the world, reason about the world, and then describe the world to others. I think that's so perfect, right? So because it's absolutely correct, right? So if I were to say, okay, I am Rochelle Newton, and I am... a master surgeon, I'm not. And somebody hears that and somebody believes that, right? And so someone, I, I view the world as I'm a master surgeon and I tell the world that's what, and then someone else goes and tells the world that I am this. None of this is facts. So I'm putting it on social media, da, 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 and it, it gets wings and it goes off and becomes a thing, right? So it's distorted. But then we go through about this and then you all say, this belief is also a, a process process a kind of funnel that pulls people deeper and deeper 
So you're able mm. to believe these misbeliefs about yourself and you get deeper and deeper until they almost become a fact, right? So you can yep. make up things and then they become a fact, right? So trouble. So, so it's this duality. It's this duality. It's about a misbelief about the outside world, but it's also the perspective of viewing things. So if you just say, oh, I'm a doctor, um, that's not a misbelief. I am a no, doctor. Not yet. A, a physician, yeah, a surgeon. Not that kind of doctor. I know, a surgeon. Um, but but if you start adopting this as a central belief in your life, uh, and then then it's becoming a lens right. uh, from which for me to do this. So so you know if you um, if you think about um, you know I um, I believe that um you know all x people are evil uh, the moment you believe that and it becomes a lens then every time you see somebody from group x acting badly you say you see i told you now it could be that they behave much less badly than other people but but you tune to that then uh, then that happens um this noise is terrible, but and we have lots of things to talk about, so we'll continue another day. I want to end this by something you have on one of your pages. I thought it was so beautiful. It says, we meet aliens every day who have something to give us. They come in the form of people with different opinions. <laughs> perfect. Absolutely perfect. And this has been absolutely exceptionally wonderful. Thank you so much for this. Come back when you can. Travel safely. Thank Remember you. what I told you. If there's anything I can do, I am a small woman, but anything I can do. I, I gave Megan every, all of my contact information, anything you need, anything I can do, please let me help you. Thank you, my dear. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I will uh, send an excerpt of this to Megan so you can review it. Please review it. Let me know if you have any thoughts about it or anything I can do. Please, anything. Go with God. Okay. Travel safely. Thank you. Wishing all of us better days. Absolutely. Better. And please be safe, Dan. Please be safe because there are nuts out there. <laughs> Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.